the patterns that we see in Scripture is that when Jesus would begin to teach, preach, a crowd would gather. And consistently, the crowd would respond to his preaching and teaching in very similar ways. When he was done, we'd often read in the Gospels that they were amazed. They were amazed by his teaching. And it wasn't just what he said, it wasn't just the content of his teaching, but it was the, the manner in which he said it. They would say things like, he, he teaches as one who has authority. We're continuing our, our sermon series this morning, The Cost of Discipleship, and we're actually kind of in the home stretch. We've been working through the Sermon on the Mount. We've got two sermons left today and next uh, Sunday. So as we dive back into the teaching today, I, I want to pause for a moment with you and consider this idea of uh, Jesus having authority. Jesus has authority. Have you come to grips with that in your own life? I, I remember when I was teaching a school teacher, it was considered best practice to sit down with your class and to collaborate together on what the rules of the classroom should be. Anyone remember that? Like you, you sit down and so class, how do we want this classroom to operate? And, and everyone throws in what they think should be the guidelines and the rules of the class. And I suppose the logic behind that was that if the students have a, a hand in coming up with the rules, they're gonna maybe own it a little more or maybe enforce it a little more. Jesus is not that kind of teacher. So the Sermon on the Mount, remember, there's a large crowd of people, and he withdrew with his disciples. What he didn't do was sit down with them and say, all right, let's figure out what should this discipleship thing look like? What should it entail? What do you all think? This was not a dialogue. It wasn't a negotiation. Had Jesus done that, I'm pretty sure the disciples wouldn't have come up with Love your enemy. I just don't think they would have arrived there on their own. Love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. Blessed are the meek and those who mourn. I don't think they would have got there. No, this was Jesus teaching as one who had authority. He's saying this is what discipleship is. If you want to be a disciple, this is what it means. It means don't harbor anger. Don't call somebody a fool. Don't entertain lustful thoughts. Be faithful to your spouse. Keep your word. Don't make promises. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Give up your right for revenge. Like No longer do we have a right for revenge. Love your enemy. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites to get attention. Don't judge others. This is the cost of discipleship. This is what we might say, this is the Jesus way. And that way is not negotiable. We can choose to walk in his way, the Jesus way. We can choose to, to not walk in his way. We can choose to walk in our own way. But what we cannot do is convince ourselves that there's some alternative route of discipleship. There is no other route of discipleship. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount lays out the terms. 
This is what that means. So we're going to jump back in, and as you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, not surprisingly, Jesus highlights the truth about what he calls the way, the way. Join me as we pray. Father, as, as we have been praying now many weeks, we pray that you would show us what we may not want to see, tell us what we may not want to hear, so that we might become all that you've created us to be. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a, a Bible, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 is where we're jumping in. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. I uh, was, we've been studying music all week to get ready for the music event yesterday, and so I've been, had my head in the cloud of music. So I, I, I Googled songs with the word way in it. There's a lot of them. A lot of people are singing about the way. So we go back to Frank Sinatra. Remember that one? He sang, not in a shy way, I did it my way. I did it my way. The Backstreet Boys, they sing, I want it that way. Is this like stirring like you're kind of singing it in your head right now? I w hey, John, you got us singing. I'm going to, I want it that way. Come on. <laughs> Backstreet Boys said, I want it that way. But, but Journey sang, any way you want it. <laughs> That's the way you need it. But Aerosmith was a little bit more conservative. They said, no, no, walk this way. Talk this way. Lady Gaga sings like, I was born this way. And Bruno Mars says, hey, you're amazing just the way you are, Lady Gaga. All of this talk about the, the way, it is a popular subject, and everybody has an opinion on the matter. Should we follow Sinatra's sage advice and do things our way, my way? Is journey on to something with a more liberal approach any way you want it? Does Lady Gaga have a point like, hey, don't blame me. I was born this way. And is Bruno Mars right in telling us, relax, we're amazing, just the way we are? A lot of people have sung about the way written about the way, taught their philosophy regarding the way, but not one of them has ever talked about the way with the authority that Jesus did with that small band of disciples. Again, have you come to terms with Jesus' authority in your own life? Because he wasn't just expressing his opinion, one opinion among many opinions. He wasn't presenting just one philosophy against a backdrop of many competing philosophies. He wasn't expressing one brand of Christianity 
one brand of discipleship as if there's multiple brands of discipleship that you can choose from. There is one brand, if you will, of Christianity. This means all Christians, every single Christian, as diverse as we possibly are, we have, we ought to have some things in common. There ought to be some recognizable fruit. To borrow another song, there's something about the way we move. There's something about the way we move that, that should reflect the person that we're following, that should reflect Jesus Christ. There's just not a lot of people out there saying, love your enemies. That's not like a, a popular teaching, but Jesus says it. Nobody else is saying, turn the other cheek, but Jesus says that. Nobody else is saying, rejoice when you're persecuted, because great is your reward. Jesus taught as one who had authority. He's not offering a way of discipleship. He is offering the way of discipleship. This idea that this way, this Jesus way, this God way leads to life, it's not a new idea. The disciples were raised in Judaism. They had been taught this their entire life. Remember the, the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5? We get the Ten Commandments immediately after them in verse 33. God says this, he says, You shall walk in all the way that your Lord, the Lord your God has commanded you. Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may go well with you. <laughs> I thought that was my phone. God authorized these commandments as the way his children were to live, and he promised that if you walk in the way that I've spelled out, you will live and it will go well with you. And then a few chapters later in Deuteronomy chapter 10, God asked rhetorically, what does the Lord require of you? To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. Again, notice this is not an optional teaching for those who really want to take their faith seriously. This is not like the advanced Judaism class that only applies to those who aspire to a more rigorous form of discipleship. This is what God requires of all his people, to walk in his way. Remember about that way God, is, God told his people, train up your children in this way. Train up your children in this way that they should go, and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. This contemporary idea that, you know, we're going to just let our children kind of figure it out on their own, we're going to let them find their own way. Sometimes we say that, we're going to let them find their own way. It's parental malpractice. Because you know what happens when, when people are left to find their own way? They find a way they find the broad way. They find the broad way that looks really good on the front end, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And so we're called to raise up the next generation and say, this is the way. It's not negotiable. We're not collaborating here to come up with what we think is the best way. God has revealed it to us. God has authority. This is the way. Walk in it. So in many regards, this was nothing new for the disciples. They had been raised in this. 
They had grown up understanding the ways they were called to live. And they understood that God had authority. They understood that God had authority to define what the, the way was. They had all of this history to look back upon to see their ancestors. Like when, when our ancestors were faithful to the way, things usually went well. And when they weren't faithful to the way, things spiraled quickly. They'd, they'd end up in captivity. I think one of the, the challenges that confronts all of us today is that because of our secular age that we live in, we've really liberated ourselves from this notion that, that there is a God to whom we are all accountable. There is a God who created heaven. There is a God who created earth, and he has authority. So instead of hearing his command as the word, we hear it as a word. Just one word among many that we can choose from. Instead of hearing it as the way, we hear it as, well, it's a way. This mindset seeps into the church. Seeps into the church when we hear the Sermon on the Mount that we've been working our way through. And we think, I really like that part. That part, not so much. And we treat it kind of like this buffet you know, Thanksgiving buffet, I'm going to have two servings of mashed potatoes, and I am skipping the Brussels sprouts, because I don't like the Brussels sprouts. So Jesus would finish teaching, and in, a, in addition to people being amazed, sometimes people would say this, that was a hard teaching. They would hear what he'd say, and they'd say, this is a hard teaching, and I don't know about you, but as we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, internally I've been saying, this is a hard teaching. There's a cost to discipleship. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is telling us. There is a cost to discipleship. There were times when the disciples would say, this is a hard teaching, and then they would leave. Do you know what they wouldn't do? They wouldn't say, well, there must be some alternative route. Like, we don't like this way, so we're going to do discipleship this way. No, it's, it's you're with me, and this is the way, or you're not with me. And so they'd hear it, and if they didn't like it and didn't want to live by it, they'd say, all right, I, I'll leave. One of those occasions comes in John chapter 6. Jesus was teaching about his body and his blood, and he said, you, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood to have eternal life. And they heard that and they thought, what is this? Is he advocating cannibalism? And rather than stick around and figure out what it was that, that he was teaching, some of the disciples said, this is a hard teaching. And they left. And then Jesus turned to the 12 and he said, are you going to leave also? And Peter said, Lord, to whom would we go? Like, yeah, what you've said is hard. Some of the things that you say are hard, but, but we've tasted too much. We know too much. Where else are we going to go? What other way are we going to turn to? This way is so radical. It is so countercultural. It is so unique to the church that the early church, they said, you know, the best identifier that, that singles out who we are is actually the way. So they didn't call themselves Christians. They didn't call their faith Christianity. They called what they were participating in the way. 
Like there, there's a way. And internally, they all understood what, they meant, what that meant. The Jesus way. It's the meek way. The humble way. The merciful way. The peacemaking way. This is the way of life which they were committed to as followers of Jesus. And it was rigorous. And it was demanding. And few chose to travel the path. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I was reading his book, uh, his remarks about this passage. Listen to what he said. He said, to confess and testify to the truth of Jesus and at the same time love the enemies of that truth, his enemies and ours, to love them with the infinite love of Jesus Christ is indeed a narrow way. To believe the promise of Jesus that his followers shall possess the earth and at the same time to face our enemies unarmed and defenseless, preferring to incur injustice rather than do wrong ourselves is indeed a narrow way. To see the weakness and wrong in someone else and at the same time Refrain from judging them is indeed a narrow way. Then Bonhoeffer says this, the way is unutterably hard. And at every moment we are in danger of falling off the way. We're in danger of straying from it. I don't know about you, I, I read that passage and internally I get a, I get a knot in my stomach. Because the, the question that we all have to ask is, am I on this narrow way? Like if so few people find it, am I someone who's on the narrow way or, or not? And this really presents the greatest challenge for all of us. Because Jesus' teaching is non-negotiable. He lays out the terms of discipleship. And eventually, no matter how zealous you are, no, no matter how determined you are to live out your faith, you're going to fall off that narrow way. Paul said it this way. He said, for all have sinned. There's not one person who's righteous. Every single person falls off the narrow way. Isaiah said it this way. He said, like sheep, we've all gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Like there's that Frank Sinatra thing living in us that we, we inevitably at some point turn to our own way. We leave the narrow way. We turn to our own way. So if the good news of the gospel is this is the way, walk in it, and if you walk in it perfectly, without stumbling, then you'll be saved. If that's the gospel, we're all in trouble. That's just the old covenant in new clothing. That's just, you know, obey, and if you obey perfectly, it's going to go well. If you don't, look out. So what's the gospel? Where is the hope for us? Jesus said, I am the way. That changes everything. I am the way. Jesus is the way. The way is a person. 
Enter through the narrow gate. The narrow gate is a person. And so we enter through the narrow gate when we place our hope in the one who said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. He's the narrow gate through whom we must enter. And that gate is narrow because there's no other way. Salvation is in no other name but the name of Jesus. It is the only way to enter. And then once we enter through that narrow gate, you know what we see? We see a narrow path. And it's the narrow path of discipleship. It's everything we've been reading in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the way we are called to live. This is the the cost of discipleship. But we walk that narrow path with our eyes fixed not on our ability to walk the path. We fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the way, who is the truth, who is the life. And, And like we just sang, he's faithful. He's not a moody God who, who wakes up and, and, you know, is in a foul mood and says, you know what, you've stumbled one too many times. I'm through with you. No, he's faithful. He never lets go. Join me as we pray. Lord, uh, if you had not come to this earth, We're going to celebrate here in a few weeks. And if you had not died, if you had not rose again, Lord, there would be no hope for us today. We'd be trying to stick to a a path that that none of us are able to to walk. Lord, we are so grateful that you have done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. You walk the path, and you walk the path perfectly. So, Lord, help us fix our eyes on you. Lord, help us commit ourselves to the path of discipleship, knowing that there is grace and there is mercy. Lord, when we stumble, protect us from the voice of the enemy who who longs to beat us up, to communicate that that there's condemnation. Lord, we pray that the, the voice of the Spirit would be louder in our ears, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We praise you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name.